I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you want. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. Earlier this week, we had the last live MK3D of 2021, and I have to say it was an absolute humdinger of a show. We've been doing the show at the BFI South Bank in London for six years, but this was really something special. So we've divided the show into two podcasts. On next week's show, you can hear from Numi Rapace talking about her new film, Lamb, and the film that changed her life, Nil by Mouth. And Pirates director Reggie Yates waxes lyrical about his guilty pleasure romancing the stone. But for now, sit back and relax in the company of Mark Gatiss, who's directed a new version of The Amazing Mr. Blondin, and Riz Ahmed, star of the current release Encounters, and potentially up for an Oscar for his short film The Long Goodbye. Welcome to MK3D. I know what you're thinking. What what can I hear music? (laughs) I thought either that's me or I can hear something. Um, I know what you're all thinking. Um, Yes, I have lost weight. Thank you for noticing. I know when I'm being patronised. I know I did this thing, but I've stopped drinking during the week, and the pounds just fall off. But the problem is my clothes don't fit anymore. I spend my whole life pulling my trousers up. So anyway, so that's the first thing. Uh, Second thing is is I had my my booster this morning, and I'm feeling fantastic. (laughs) Ben still goes. Now, we have a massively packed show. This is, just as I came on, so I've said, this is the last show of the sixth year of doing this show. Uh, when we first started, we thought, well, if we get away with six weeks, we'll be lucky. So thanks ever so much. It's really great to see everybody back. Uh, as you know, yeah. As you know, during, uh, during lockdown, we sort of, you know, we did some online, but it's just not the same as being in the same room. So lovely to see you all here. Now, we, as I always say, we have a ridiculously packed show tonight. Um, because we're still in COVID regulations, I said for us, the audience, can we do it via Twitter? So we had a bunch of questions came in via Twitter. I will just rattle through these because I like to give the illusion that I'm somehow answering questions, although I'm actually just, obviously, as we know, just using them as an excuse for cheap gags. <laughs> James Rodriguez asked, and this is, my, this is one of my favourite questions of the year, if you could remake any films, uh, concentrate, with an all-Muppet cast... <laughs> wait, wait... With the exception of one cast member, which film would you choose and which actor would you say? For example, I would choose Nightmare on Elm Street and keep Robert England. <laughs> it's a very good question. I've gone for House of Gucci, but we'll keep Jared Leto. 
Because only in that company does, does Jared Leto's performance make any sense at all. And I'd, I'd also like to be, uh, just, just to remind everybody, he will get nominated for that ridiculous performance. Golden Globes await. Uh, have, have you all seen House of Gucci? Okay. He, <laughs> I, th I think the film's kind of fun. Nick runs a cinema and it's packing them out, right? But it is, it's like, you know, it's like Al Pacino, hoo-ha, you know, and then, uh, and then Jeremy Irons, oh, a bit vampiric, you know, and then Adam Driver, oh, a little bit uptight, and then, you know, Lady uh, Gaga's fabulous, and then, ah, Jared Leto, oh, hello, I'm doing an Italian accent, oh. Anyway, so, anyway, so that was that. <laughs> this is from Maddie Pierce. Which director do you think will define the 2020s? I think... Julia DeCorno. And I think that because having made Raw, which was a perfect film, she made Titan, which is a perfect film. If you're staying afterwards, there is a screening of Titan next, um, and it's got a recorded interview with Julia. She was going to come over, but unfortunately she didn't because of, because of uh, vaccine regulations changing. But you can also hear her on Radio 4's fabulous new programme, Screenshot. <laughs> with Eleni Jones and an old bloke with 15 chins. Why do, we, why do I look so old in that picture? <laughs> I mean, it's like you've made my hair even greyer than it is. Anyway, so that's, that's on Friday. And finally, Michael L. Jones said, which director should Kate Dickey work with next? I think we kind of cleared this up last week, but just in case anybody didn't catch it, she should work with Celine Siamar next because that's, the, that's the, the pairing that we want. And Kate Dickey has said that she's up for it. So that's, uh, right, so that's got the illusion of audience question answering out the way. Here's the thing. We've just had the Biffers. Did anybody see the Biffers uh, win sheet this morning? Fantastically well done for After Love with six wins. Uh, Alim Khan won Best Director, Best Screenplay. Douglas Hickox Award for Best Debut Director. Joanna Scanlon, Best Actress, uh, Best Independent. I mean, just it swept the board. It did fabulously well. Also, uh, Vinette Robinson got Best Supporting Actress for Boiling Point. She's also in The Amazing Mr. Blondin, which is a fabulous new film coming up. Uh, Kathy Brady got debut screenwriter for Wildfire. She was a guest here on MK3D a few months ago. The Polystyrene Documentary won Best Documentary Award. That's a fantastic thing if you see it. And the Richard Harris Award for Outstanding Contribution by an actor or actress in British independent film went to the legend that is Riz Ahmed. Please welcome him to the stage. Riz, congratulations, and as you can hear, a very, very popular win. Did it mean a lot to you? Yeah, it was quite confusing, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. Because in my mind, I like to think of myself as quite young. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so when you get an award like that, you start kind of checking yourself a bit. You're like, I'm old. Well, because it feels uh, like a Lifetime Achievement Award. Well, yeah, they assured me that it wasn't. <laughs> I said, listen, if this is a Lifetime Achievement Award, no. I'm just getting started. You're not showing me the door. Um, but no, it was, it was uh, just yeah, an amazing feeling to be embraced by the British independent filmmaking community. You know, it's such a, such a tight-knit, uh, for better and worse, community. And, um, and one where, you know, as I, was, as I said, kind of when I accepted the award, you know that everyone's there for the right reasons, because no one's in British independent film for the money. <laughs> you know, no one. So it's a, it's a really kind of creative community. <clears throat> full of risk takers and I thought this year's awards you know the wins were kind of amazing you know to see Adil Akhtar winning 
yeah. um, Asim Chowdhury hosting, Aleem Khan sweeping the the, 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 the board is a very different biffers to the first one that I attended and, and that almost moved me as much as receiving the award myself. And it's not just the one because your company made Flea as well, which won an award. That's right, yeah. We were involved in Flea along with Vice Studios and, and Neon and of course the Danish producers. I don't know if anyone has seen Flea. It's not out. It's not out. Yet. It just came out. No. Okay, three people have seen <laughs> Flea. Great, we'll be raking that one in. <laughs> It, it hasn't opened yet, Rhys. Yeah, okay, yeah, great, open. great. So that's fine. That's three who shouldn't have seen it, probably. <laughs> festivals, festivals. That's even more worrying. No, no, festivals is fine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah Flea's a, it's a beautiful film and uh, really privileged to be involved in that one. So um, it's an animated documentary. For those of you that have seen... Um, God, what's the, what's the Israeli doc called? Waltz with Bashir. Waltz with Bashir. Yeah, so similar to that in a sense, because it's a documentary, you've got interviews, but then the whole thing's animated, the reenactments are animated, really a labor of love, and um, obviously a true story at yeah. its heart. So, yeah. You've got a film which opened on Friday, which I'm a big fan of, and which it was an absolute bugger to review. I'm going to show the trailer, and then we'll talk about it, okay? This is Encounter, this is in cinemas now. This is Mission Control to J. I can't believe it's been two years since I saw you last. How's Bobby? Miss you both so much. I'm heading out on another secret mission. I want to come see you, but I need to keep fighting. Everything I do. Is to protect you. Dad, we're back. Come here. Keep your eyes open. The game is called Get in the Car as Fast as Humanly Possible. You gonna let him beat you? It's okay. What's going on here? Road trip with my boys at 3 a.m. No, please, stop! <laughs> This operation extends to all adjacent states. They have no idea the kind of danger that they're in. Why can't we go home? This ain't a road trip, it's a rescue mission. Nothing bad's gonna happen to while I'm around. Besides, if this ain't a hell of an adventure, I know what it is, dude. Ah! Ah! Sure. If we do this thing right, you will always be a hero to your sons. No! I'm a really big fan of it, and the best thing for me was I knew nothing about it other than the title when I saw it. And I... It, when I was writing the review, I was very conscious of really just wanting to write, just go see the film, and then let's talk about it afterwards. Um, it's, you know, on the one hand, science fiction, on the other hand, psychological thriller, but it is fundamentally about family. And the key thing is your relationship with those two young actors is brilliant. Tell us about that. Oh, man, it was, uh, it was incredible working with these kids. It was actually kind of why I did the, 
you know, I really chased this role. I, I've loved Michael Pierce's last film, Beast. Which is fabulous. Saw that. Yeah, Jesse Buckley came film. on the show to talk about okay, it when it was right. first out, yeah. And um, so I wanted to know what Michael was doing next, read this script, and I really, really chased it down. I started calling him, texting him, got other filmmakers to call him up, <laughs> um, properly started stalking him, I'm not joking. And he wanted to go in a different direction for the role um, because I don't even really immediately imagine myself into the role of a returning US Special Forces Marine, let alone a director, I can't blame him for that. But I said, listen, I, I think I should do this, it will add a different layer, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, to, to the story. So I did it, and then I was like, oh wait, hang on a minute, I have to play a dad. They're gonna laugh at me, the kids are gonna laugh in my face, because I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know how to be a dad. But then of course, I realized that's what my character's thinking. My character's been away from his kids for a long time. He's hoping that they won't, you know, laugh in his face and reject him. So there was that kind of overlap. And I have to say, those two young actors are incredible. They really are. They really, really can have big, big careers if they want them and if they're lucky, if they keep pursuing it. Um, the older one, Lucian River. <laughs> so I thought, okay, it's his first film. You know, let me, let me, let me find him, play catch with the kid, you know, give him some candy or something. I look over, it's an hour before we're filming our scene. He's already in the car, crying. Just deep in character. You know, I'm trying to like make small talk with him. He's like, one moment, please. I'm just... <laughs> so that, that freaked me out. And then, then the other kid, Aditya, he's the, he's the total other opposite end of the spectrum. I just found out the other day, he never read the script. <laughs> never read it. He was improvising every line. Not a single line in the film is wow. when I was on the page. And he's just a renegade, and his whole process is totally different. It's how many skittles you give him. <laughs> so, honestly, so if it's, a, if it's like a hyped up scene, he's like, I gotta get my candy. And you're like, fuck, yeah, we just keep feeding him with skittles. And we're having to change a schedule around, going, you know what, in an hour he's gonna have a sugar crush. <laughs> Let's do that more mellow scene in an hour. And we're moving it around. It's this whole skittles oriented schedule. But honestly, I'm not joking. But both of them, are, they say don't work with kids and animals. Yeah. And it's not because it's chaotic, it's because they're actually better than you. You know, they just bring such an honesty, a rawness, and authenticity that. It, it really pushes you to dig deeper as an actor. So it was a privilege. It, yeah. When you said you didn't consider yourself as that kind of character, you're pretty ripped, though. I mean, you know, you're like, it's physically, you're, you look like you're a... <laughs> I mean that in a good way, Riz. It's like, you know... You flirting with me. <laughs> Because well, I wanted to well, say I did notice the weight come off. You, you, look good. you looking good. <laughs> no. I don't know where to go it from here. It wasn't. It wasn't so much the physicality no, stuff, like because you could transform your body for for a role. You know, if you have enough Can time. You, is that? Is that? Just yeah. The... It, it's just. It's. It takes. It's quite a miserable experience at times. I mean, for this, it was like bulking up and getting ripped. So it's just about doing a lot of exercise. For Mogul Mowgli, that was, that was utterly miserable. That was losing, I lost 10 kilos in three weeks. Um, you know, your brain takes you to some incredibly dark places when you start doing that. So I wouldn't do that again in a hurry, but it wasn't right. the physical side. It was more just that I think I'd, I'd um, internalized you know, what those characters look like on yeah. screen and in our culture. You know, they're like yeah, burly yeah. white dudes with shaved heads. Yeah. And could it, and you know, the, the character on the script was, um, was named Marcus. And I just started thinking, I was like, is that believable? And I thought, actually, 
this is going to add so much to it. So I pitched him this idea of changing his name to Malik Khan. Mm. And really, if the story is about an outsider, and as I believe so many great stories, most stories are about outsiders, then him being an outsider to that part of America, um, sticking out like a sore thumb, being viewed with more suspicion by law enforcement, it actually just adds stakes and enriches the story that's already there. And... um, so yeah, once you, you kind of unlock that door and say, well, why not? You actually realize there's a whole world um, dramatically to it that, that, that it kind of opens yeah. up. Well, I really loved the film. I saw it twice the second time around. I, you know, I got even more of it. I love Jake Kurzel's score. Actually. I think the score it's, adds, it's incredible. It really adds so much to it. At the beginning of that trailer, it says Academy Award nominee, Riz Ahmed, which must give you a bit of a buzz. Now, the short film that you made that we saw last year has now, through festivals, has qualified for the Academy race. That's right, The Long Goodbye is in contention for an Oscar. Yep. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, it's, the short film is 10, 11 minutes long. The trailer, because it's just, is 15 seconds. You want to see it? I think we have time. How many people have seen The Long Goodbye? It's the same three people. Because there was the really interesting thing about it was there was it was it made news stories when it the day that it was released because we covered it on the Radio Five show but it was on the news you were being it, it it broke out of that entertainment thing and I think it's a really powerful piece and I would love it to be nominated I actually particularly love it to to win but do you want to just briefly say a yeah, word about why you. it's important? Well, thank you for that. Yeah, it was really surreal to see it being discussed in the House of Parliament. Um, yeah, mad and. Um, it's really down to the filmmaking. You know, Anil Karia is amazing young talent. I uh, don't know if anyone's seen Surge with Ben Whishaw, uh, which yeah. was awarded at Sundance. That was his first feature. He's just someone I've always really wanted to work with. So setting up my production company, approached him and said, listen, we've got, we've got to do something. And it really grew out of our conversations. Um, we made the film against this kind of backdrop of this, you know, this rising xenophobia that was taking place. Um, the kind of national discourse around immigration and identity and Britishness just felt particularly toxic. So we wanted to make something that was just really a kind of cry from the heart, very unapologetic, um, kind of playing out a nightmare scenario in our minds. And I guess I don't want to say too much, but I would say to, to film fans, just fans of filmmaking, it really is worth a watch. And really, is such really. a talent. So I hope you guys will check it out. It's on YouTube and it's, yeah, it's called The Long Goodbye. When do you find out whether or not, you, is it sh- long list, short list? How does it, it work? It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, have you, any of you seen that um, satirical uh, film for your consideration? Yes. The Oscars race is hilarious and so bizarre. Like every different Oscar voting branch has its own little quirks and its own procedures. Um, But we had a screening in LA um, and we screened it for some of the short film branch voters. So yeah, who knows? It's such a a crapshoot, but... um, Well, you and I did a screening of it a week or so ago and I know it was kind of home crowd, but the most remarkable thing for me was seeing it on a big screen because I'd only ever seen it on the small screen and it... 
it, it, the impact of it on the business, because Neil is such a brilliant director, mm. it's a really cinematic piece. It would be lovely to see it going out as a supporting film to a, to a main feature. I think that's something they should bring back. Short supporting features is a really good idea. Yeah, as soon as they bring back just cinemas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they'll, they'll sort that out first. So, well, look, I wish you every success with that, and I hope that Encounter does really well. I asked you to, uh, to choose a movie that changed your life, and you made a really good choice. What did you choose? I chose Lion by Kasowitz. Tell us where you first saw Lion, which is now, terrifyingly, 26 years old. Yeah, and it still feels like it could have been made yesterday. Yeah. Um, where did you first see it? I first saw it randomly, late night, I think, on Channel 4. Right. You know, they play those late night movies with subtitles, and I was just up late as a, as a teenager, and I started watching it, and... You know, like you're a teenager, you think, oh, maybe there might be some nudity in this. I'll keep watching. <laughs> you keep watching. It's a you know, French here's film. Funny thing. Nick, yeah. w- Nick was running the film programming at Film 4 <laughs> at that you? point, and that was exactly what he had in mind. <laughs> hey, thank you. <laughs> Honestly, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and so you, you carry on watching it, and you're like, all right, where's this going? And um, it just blew my mind. I had never seen a film like it. Um, I don't think there have been many films since. I, th- I guess you could say his companion piece now is Les Miserables. Yeah, which is Which fantastic. is amazing. But in a way, this is kind of Les Miserables' father, isn't it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Or mother. This is like... Um, just feels so relevant, even if you look at what's happened recently in the US with Black Lives Matter. And... Um, yeah, just just so stylish. I guess I'm just rambling because I love it so much, but I think it's the combination of the performances, the story, and thematically how bold it was and how in-your-face it was politically, but the way that it's all just kind of told in such an irreverent, humorous, fast-paced, slick, and stylish, visually stylish yeah. way. Well, it's, it's Bonlier life, which a lot of us hadn't seen before. It's three central characters, and they they are from different sort of you know racial and uh, yeah. backgrounds, and they're all... The film follows them and, you know, the adventures that happened to them. But the thing that... Over the really, course of 24 hours. Yeah. yeah. The thing that really got to me was the sense of location. We're going to show a clip, which is actually... You and I were just discussing this before, whether or not they did this with... Because I think 1995 is pre-drone. Is. So as you're watching this clip, ask yourself how they did it, Okay. I loved, because I reviewed it for the 25th anniversary, I remember seeing it when it first came out and describing it as tough and gritty and urban and streetwise and 25 years later, being surprised by how funny it was, by how affectionate it is, by how warm the relationships between the characters are. I mean, it's a really rich drama about three people who sort of love each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this, it's almost... Um, I don't know, it's, it's kind of easy to miss that, isn't it? Because sometimes we can get really kind of hit with a sense of location and the kind of simmering danger. But when you have that tension, when you're living in that kind of environment, humor becomes a survival mechanism. And you'll find again and again and again in, in all of these films and in all these real life situations, humor and, and those kind of day-to-day moments of joy um, 
and, and comedy are, are how we kind of undercut the, the, the pressure and the tension of that kind of environment. So yeah, I think it, it is hilarious, but also what I love about it is that kind of blend of like hardcore social realism with, as you saw, elements of magical realism. Yeah. And uh, not just in terms of like, uh, you know, what you see on screen, but again, how you see it. Like whose perspective are we really in when we're floating above the bonlier? And musically, what we're hearing is, um, you know, these kind of old, Marion Cotillard played a, what's her name? La Vie en Rose. Yeah, um, uh, PF. PF. So you're hitting PF mixed in with the sound of the police. And it's just such a statement, you know? It's, it's a film that's not afraid to make bold statements, both creatively, stylistically, but also in terms of what it is directly saying to its audience. Like, we're a new generation of French people, of French artists, and we are going to remix what it means to be French. And that's what you're witnessing on screen. And I just find that so moving. I think that's, that's what culture is. That's how it grows and survives by, through that process of collage, you know, and piracy. Let me ask you finally, you know, obviously you're an accomplished musician yourself. Do the two things, the film acting and the, the, mu the music, do they live side by side? Or is one gonna have to take over from the other at any point? Well, I mean, acting took over from paying the bills a long time ago. Um, the music is, is really, it's, it's just a part of who I am, you know? It's, it's how I kind of learned to process the world from a very young age. Just putting that pen to paper, is, I find it very cathartic, and it's how I unpick whatever knots are in my stomach at any given time. So this album, Long Goodbye, um, was one that, yeah, grew out of, obviously, you'll notice it's a similar, same title to the short film, so it grew out of a similar seed, which was this idea, this moment, you know, post-Brexit, post-Trump, of kind of questioning my sense of belonging. And, um, Can I just take a moment to just save the phrase post-Trump? <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly just the way that I'll continue to express myself. What I'm enjoying doing more and more is actually bringing it all together and compartmentalizing less, you know, um, the older I get. Uh, I feel like growing up, I was, you know, was Pakistani in this context and British in this context, yeah. and an actor here and a rapper there. And I think, hopefully, partly inspired by you know some of the things I was watching, like La Haine, I, I, I like the idea of remixing those and bringing them all together. So, the, on a film like Mughal Mowgli, I'm acting, but I'm also rapping. And similarly to Long Goodbye, and this album, Long Goodbye, it's it's a music album, but it has a lot of actors on it actually telling us a story through a series of skits. So I kind of see them as one thing. Yeah. Well, look, I hope everybody goes to see Encounter, which is in cinemas and then is available on Amazon, I think, in a, in a week or so. In a week, yeah. And uh, we wish you all the best with uh, The Long Goodbye. I really, really hope it gets nominations, Riz, because you deserve it. The fabulous Riz Ahmed. Thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping 
and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. And the hits just keep on coming. Um, I mentioned earlier on that there is a, that there is a new adaptation of uh, The Amazing Mr. Blondin, which is one of my favourite films. It's an absolute classic. I was taken to see the original by my mum when I was young, and it really struck home. And then uh, I had this message from the great Mark Gatiss, who said, you know, I'm making The Amazing Mr. Blondin, and I sent him a message which said, well, two things. Firstly, if I don't have a cameo in it, I'm never speaking to you again. And secondly, don't bugger it up. He didn't. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Gatiss. I can only say I hope we're post-Trump. Yeah, no, I know, I know. Well, hey, we can dream, can't we? Um, for those who don't know it, Give us a little bit of the setup of Mr. Blunder, and then we will show a clip of your new version. And I, I have to say, I mean, you know that because we've had conversations about this, I'm so glad at the way your version has turned out because it is made with so much love and affection. Thank you. Uh, well, it's about two, uh, two modern kids who, uh, they've lost their father and they're living with their mum in a flat in Camden Town. And uh, one night, a mysterious solicitor, an old man turns up, Simon Callow, and offers them a job looking after a, uh, a ruined old house. Uh, and there, there is one proviso, which is that th there may be some rumors in the village that the house is haunted. Uh, and so they go to the house and discover it is haunted, but not quite by what they expect. And there are two children from 1821 who've actually traveled forward in time to try and prevent their own deaths at the hands of their wicked um, housekeeper, Mrs. Wickens and a beautifully handsome husband, Mr. Wiggins. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and it's, as I had, as you know, a, a very, very similar experience. I saw the original Lionel Jeffries classic when I was at school the day before we, the day we broke up for Christmas when I was about seven, and it absolutely, it changed my life. It really did. It sort of, before I had boxes to tick, I just went, ooh, that's everything I love. <laughs> so I, I approached it with great, trepidation but also great reverence for the original and and really with the, the intention to to bring this wonderful story to a new audience you were looking to to make it you know modern but you also looked back to antonio barber's source novel the ghosts didn't you because you wanted to capture the spirit of that as well yes i mean the no i remember because i knew the film so well and i eventually you know read the book i can't remember what it was but i had the same it's a great the, book the tv tie-in yep. the, the uh, film tie-in book yeah. um and I remember being struck by the fact that, uh, well, obviously, what Lionel Jeffries had done was, because it's a sort of companion piece of the railway children, he had made it very much in the same uh, period. It's a doubled period film. But Antonio Barber's book, they are definitely a modern family. And I thought, well, that's an interesting thing to re-explore. It's a beautiful story. And it has deep roots in The Christmas Carol and uh, the idea of redemption and the idea of, of putting right something which has gone wrong. Yeah, I think is why it really speaks to us all. Can we see a clip? You can. Here we go. <laughs> what should I do? I am by nature too soft when what they need is a 
firm hands. Mr. Blunden, please, please. You must listen, or she will murder us tonight. Lock them up, Mrs. Wickens. Lock them up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up straight. Don't you look at me with your little piggy eyes. You it's all happening again, isn't it? Please. Shut it. What are we going to do? Shut it. Turn those ugly little eyes away from me and you. There's two of you. Yes, there are two of us. But we are not the same man. He would not know you. He's a shallow, insensitive creature. He does not know of the terrible fate that awaits those two children, or the dreadful burden of guilt which he will shortly assume. I shall be content to leave everything in your hands, mother-in-law. I fear Blunden and I must be off to London. Yes, yes. Business. I understand your impatience, my dears. But for the time being, everything must go on as before. I ask your uh, permission to... Oh, cold comfort, yes. Gruel. Early to bed. When the time for action comes, I shall return. Never fear. I, honestly, I've seen it two or three times already, and I just love it. So, obviously, Simon Callow and the great Tamsin Gray, <laughs> who said this brilliant thing about the casting of Mrs. Wickens, who is this fiendishly unpleasant character. And she said, you got in touch with her and said, I, c- I can only think of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, then she said, why don't we die in the doors first? There must be a similar trajectory of beautiful statuesque actress. <laughs> but why do you think it is that that story continues to work? Because this is, this is a, a, a Christmas release, and I think this has got the, the possibility of being a regular Christmas favourite. Why is that story still relevant? I, as I say, I think it's, uh, it's you know, there's, there's such a wonderful tradition in this country of those kind of children's classics, those, those sort of puffin books that we all grew up with, and, yeah. and, and they used to, you know, in the 70s uh, particularly, all children's television was about standing stones and Merlin, and if it didn't have some supernatural element, it wasn't right. <laughs> and we all grew up with that. But this particular one, I think it's just, it's a, it's a wonderful idea. It's just, it's very clever to have children at its heart it's very melancholy uh, and very joyous at the same time. Like, uh, and even though it's only bookended by Christmas, it has a sort of festive feel. I mean, we actually shot in the heights of summer, and uh, after an initial sort of thought of pretending it was Christmas, I said, no, I think we should just say it's summer. <laughs> um, and, and it doesn't sort of matter. Somehow the, 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 uh, the time travel element really makes it feel festive. It's got, it pushes all those buttons, as I say. I think it just, it, it's what we all like at this time of year. We have an on-set photograph taken during that summer. I think it's one of the most, the most glamorous on-set photographs we've had. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the statue of uh, Mr. Blunt, and that, of course, is the great Kim Newman. I don't know who that other guy is. <laughs> and um, we are in the background of a scene, and it was made my dream come true that in the background of a scene, you see me and Kim walking along. In the back. So I, it's like I've managed to step into the dream. Was the film the dream that you wanted it to be? 
Was it the dream project? Yeah, you know, it, it, absolutely, but in a sort of, you know, unexpected way. When uh, my producers, uh, Isabel and Rochelle, approached me and said, we've got the rights to The Amazing Mr. Blunden, what do you think about doing it again? I just, <coughs> what? It's, what? <laughs> but then, then it rapidly became like, well, it's a great story. It, it's, the film is 50 years old. You, it deserves to be retold. And, and I think the idea of, a, of, of making it about a, 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 some kids from now makes it instantly accessible in that way. But in a similar way to you, Mark, it's like, um, it is like a dream project. And it was, it was, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful experience. You know, we, had, we never had enough time. We had to, it was a huge fire. It was kind of terrifying. And you made it during yeah. COVID as well. At one point COVID. you had to shut down because Yeah, we, of COVID. we shut down the day after you came. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for 10 days. But it actually worked out okay. And, uh, you know, everyone, amazing team. And there was such a joy, such a love to it. Even people that didn't know the original film at all, they really responded to the material. There was a wonderful guy, a props guy called... Uh, Billy, who works all the time with Ridley Scott, and he's a proper geezer. Yeah, he was. And if you can get those people on your side, you're 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 in. And he was. Just, I loved him. And at the end, he had to go off to work for Ridley, and he, he sort of finished three days before. He went, Mark, top man. And I thought, <laughs> I've done it. I've done it. I felt honestly. I thought I'm going to wear a sheepskin coat from now on. Well, that, the, the day that Kim and I were on the thing, he said to me, he said, he said, all right. How's it going? I said, yeah, it's all fine. I said, what are you doing next? He goes, Napoleon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Fine. <laughs> so when can everyone see it? Uh, that's Christmas Eve on Sky Max at seven o'clock, and then after that, I think it's on Now TV for the rest of time. <laughs> and if people wanted to see you celebrating Christmas in the flesh, yeah. where would they be able to do that? Mark? They can see that at Alexandra Palace, where I'm finally doing my version of a Christmas Carol uh, in the absolutely amazing uh, just restored theatre at Ali Pali, which was built in 1875, opened until 1938, usually doing Gracie Fields, and then closed for 80 years and has now been restored wow. in this it's incredible place. It's absolutely incredible. Um, I'm playing Jacob Marley, my dream part. And now, uh, it's, yeah, it's running now. Are you enjoying it? Very much, yeah. And I tell you what, we started in Halloween <laughs> uh, in Nottingham. And I thought, oh, people won't be ready for Christmas. Oh, my God, they're ready for Christmas. <laughs> because it was cancelled last year. And it, the, the response is kind of overwhelming. This, it's a real... Again, the same thing. It has a, a heart to, to it, which people massively respond to. And you love the theatre, don't you? I do. Because I saw um, uh, Boys in the Band, mm -hmm. and it was just... I've never seen you happier, I don't think. <laughs> That's but true. You, but you do love it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's... A, you know, I mean, we've, had, we've lived through such a strange time, and I think the importance of live events like this, or ju just the human connection. You know, I was talking to some people who, who uh, someone in the cast who brought their nephews and nieces to see Christmas Carol, and they'd not seen a live show at all. Because wow. they, you know, they were, they were sort of, maybe they were five, lockdown struck, and mm. they hadn't even seen a panto. And suddenly they'd go, and they, Chris said his, his, his niece or his granddaughter, uh, she, the fact that there were people doing it in front of her life, she couldn't get over it. She just was like, let her touch the screen, you know. <laughs> but I think that's very moving. And we all know that that first, that first time can stay with you forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, look, I hope that you get a whole new generation of people interested in The Amazing Mr. London. I also read 
that as a result of your production or in, in tandem with it, that they have republished the book. That's right, yes, yeah, which is lovely. And how it? great that yeah. that would find yeah. that in Although, sad, as we, I wish it said, now a major TV <laughs> with a horrible big star on it. That's right, yes. Like they used to. <laughs> By Mark Doctor Who Gator. <laughs> Mark, congratulations. It's a, it's a really terrific piece of work, and I'm looking for, I'm going to come and see, uh, see you on stage. Thank you ever so much for coming Thank on the show. Thank you. Well, there we are. That was Mark Gatiss and Riz Ahmed, the first two guests on the most recent MK3D show recorded live at the BFI South Bank. On next week's show, you can hear the second half of that MK3D with our special guests, Numi Rapass and Reggie Eight. And if you like the sound of the show and you think you might like to come along in person, go to the BFI website for information and tickets. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to subscribe, tell your friends, stay safe, keep watching the skies. 